Thank you so much for being here at 930. My name is Todd. I'm the uh, pastor here at Hilton Head Island Community Church. For those of you I don't know, and uh, if you're listening to the podcast, I'm glad that you all are here because pastors have a few nightmares. There's like things that you dream of uh, in the middle of the night and so things like um, I had this happen over Christmas break that I dreamed that I woke up. It was Sunday morning. I had nothing prepared. Those are That's one of the dreams that pastors have, one of the nightmares that pastors have. And then there's another one that happens uh, that you wake up in the middle of the night and you're preaching and there's nobody here. So uh, anyway, and that one crossed my mind over the past few weeks. And so I'm glad that you're here. It's New Year's and I'm reminded of John as he writes the revelation of Jesus Christ. And he says, the king sits on his throne. And as he sits on his throne, he is making all things new. I love New Year's Day. And I think it's great that we can start New Year's Day here in church in 2012. And uh, I'm excited and it brings me great joy um, to be here. This is the first time I've preached on a New Year's Day, and um, I just want you to know how much I enjoy being your pastor, and uh, what a privilege and an honor it is for me um, to be your pastor, and, and I'm thankful, so thankful for the people that he has brought together at Hilton Head Island Community Church, and so thank you so much for being a part. Each year that uh, I've been in the ministry, uh, we have taken the time between Christmas and New Year's off, and um, that might be very evident today, uh, that I had some time off these past uh, few days, and um, it's just a time to kind of refresh and relax, and something, kind of a, a thing that I passed on to our staff, and we take some time off between Christmas and New Year's just to reflect and kind of kind of renew ourselves, and um, this year, I purposefully didn't plan anything. Um, if you've been here, you know um, how much I love to play golf. Well, I, I had, you know, whatever it was, seven days or whatever, and I didn't even plan to play golf. I, I just wanted to veg, and I wanted to chill, and I wanted to be with a family, and we got that. And um, I got to read and reflect and, and dream a little bit, and uh, it was just such a, a, a nice few days. Um, so much so that yesterday we ventured out uh, for the first time in a while, and we came here to get a few things ready for uh, this morning. And I looked down when I got out of the van out here, and I still had my slippers on. So uh, that's how yesterday went for me. And uh, so that was exciting news that uh, I was that relaxed uh, from vacation that uh, I forgot to take my slippers off and put real shoes on. So... But it was interesting, this past Wednesday night, something happened. Um, I was sitting on the couch, and uh, we were talking as a family and reading, and the kids were playing, and, um, and I realized that today is January 1st, 2012, and that this year, this beginning of this new year, this particular year, ends with the number two. And I got thinking that the last time that the um, calendar switched over for the number two was, of course, 2002. And on January 2nd of 2002, I started a new career, a new vocation. It was my first day on the job um, in, in full-time church ministry. And so tomorrow, uh, I'll celebrate 10 years in the ministry, which is really cool. And it kind of just dawned on me that I've been doing this. Thank you very much. That's not why I say that, but thank you. Uh, I, I'm excited about it. It's... Uh, it's kind of neat to think that 10 years has gone by and I'm much older. Um, but uh, it was interesting because that day, I remember that day so clearly. It was a season of newness. It was, you know, 2001 was a tough year for, for us, wasn't it? For Americans and for the world in general. And uh, it was, we were so glad that 2001 was over. And, and for me, everything was starting new. Um, I had served uh, the previous five years at a parachurch uh, ministry called Enjoy, those five years prior to that, and so my last day on the job was the last couple days 
of uh, there in December, and everything was going to be new on January 2nd, 2002. I would have a new office. I would have new hours. I would have new colleagues. Um, I would ha- there would be new policy. Um, there'd be a new environment. Everything that I knew from the past, now, you know, th- that I, that was old, was now becoming new. Uh, much more that year probably than any other year. I-, I had a new commute. It was 15 minutes as opposed to an hour and 15 minutes one, one way. And so uh, there was great rejoicing in my house when I switched over to that commute. And uh, our church was called North Star Church, and, and it was on the northwest part of Atlanta. And on January 2nd, 2002, in the middle of the night, in those early morning hours, Atlanta had a snowstorm, okay, of two inches, all right? That is a snowstorm in Atlanta. And if you look in the record books, it's one of the largest uh, recorded snowfalls in Atlanta history. Isn't that hilarious for all those of you from Ohio and Indiana and Michigan? Two inches was one of the largest snowfalls. But for some reason, up in the northwest part of Atlanta, where we lived in Kennesaw and Ackworth, um, we just had you know maybe a half inch or an inch. And so I got up that morning on January 2nd. I was so excited about my new job, so excited to go to work. I just jumped in the car and I went to work. Now, let me tell you, if it had snowed in my previous job, in my previous employment, and, and like there was a half an inch, if there was flakes coming down, I would have been like, yeah, staying home today, mm-hmm, staying home. But I was so excited, I jumped in the car and I drove to work and I got there pretty early and uh, realized that it was truly a snow day and I was the only one that showed up at work until about 10 or 11 o'clock that morning. And uh, by about 10 or 11 o'clock that morning, of course, uh, everything had warmed up and everything had melted and then the day was on and everything, everything got back to normal. And I had previously, um, going into this job, had scheduled a lunch meeting um, for, I was the small groups pastor, that was my new job. I had scheduled a lunch meeting with a potential new small group leader. And uh, so noontime came around and I jumped in the car and went and we had lunch and uh, a guy named Joe and we had a nice time. We talked about what it meant to lead a small group. We called them life groups just like we do here, lead a life group there at North Star Church. We had a nice lunch. But in the middle of the lunch, I got three phone calls in a row. And this was 2002 in the days before caller ID. So I didn't, you know, there wasn't a number that came up, but I knew that somebody was trying to get a hold of me. So I excused myself for a moment and answered the phone. And it was another guy that was waiting for me at a restaurant across town that I had also scheduled lunch with at the same exact time that day. And so that's how my career as a pastor started, with two meetings, one that I met and one that I stood a guy up for. And uh, boy, I was just off to a great start and I had to explain to my pastor that I had had an epic fail in my first day as a pastor. And many Maybe some of the pieces of my puzzle just fell into place for some of you, but it was an interesting day. Um, But in those early days of being involved in church work, I just remember how excited I was to be on staff with a church. I remember how excited I was about being a part of an organization whose purpose it was, was to share the love of Jesus Christ to its community. And the DNA of that church, North Star Church, was very much community-focused. It was very much about evangelism, and it was very much about making disciples. And there was so much passion. I was so excited. And 10 years later, um, that passion hasn't left. I still wake up in the morning, and I'm excited about what God is doing in His church worldwide. I'm excited about what God is doing in his church here in the state of South Carolina. There are a lot of amazing things that are happening just in this state in church work. 
And I'm excited about what God is doing in the low country with low country community church, our partner church, and all these other churches that are preaching and teaching the gospel and that are about disciple making and about reaching the lost. And I'm very excited about what he's going to do in and through the life of us who are called Hilton Head Island Community Church. But I was not always that passionate about church. I grew up going to church um, in my adult life. I could probably count on one hand the times that uh, we have not been in church on a Sunday morning. Um, I grew up as a child going to church, and I was excited about church. And part of my testimony is that God moved in my life um, in an extraordinary way when I was in my teenage years. And so as I got older in my faith and started growing in my faith, um, God uh, really uh, called and impressed upon me the idea of serving him in some kind of full-time capacity. And so when I, in the late 1980s, when I was in my late teens, uh, I really began sensing this call into the ministry and doing what I'm doing today. But I went to college and uh, I didn't have a lot of encouragement behind that calling and it kind of just dwindled for me. It kind of, that, that fire, uh, you know, just kind of died out. And so in my 20s, in my early 20s for a period of time, I really wasn't passionate about God or his church, which is called the bride, which we'll take a look at in a moment. It, for me, was something that you just did. You just went to church. You, you just showed up on a Sunday morning, and maybe you played a part, and maybe you didn't. For me, I want you to catch this. It was a lot more about a hobby than it was a passion. And then God began to get a hold of my life, and he began to renew that calling that I had received in my late teens. But it's interesting because church for me was so much more about just a hobby rather than a passion. And that's a good distinction to make, isn't it? There's a huge difference. I want you to catch this. There's a huge difference between hobby and passion, isn't there? I love soccer. I love NFL football. You know I love the Atlanta Falcons who are playing the Tampa Bay Buccaneers today, and they better win. But anyway, I love football, and I love the Atlanta Falcons. I love soccer. I've grown over the last year since we went over to North, uh, Jeff and I went over to North, uh, Western, or, uh, yeah, Northwest England, and we went to a Liverpool soccer match at Anfield, which is like going to Yankee Stadium over there. And I've learned to love you know, Liverpool Football Club. But you know what? That's not my passion. It's a hobby. Do you see the difference? Uh, many of us love to play golf. That's a hobby and not a passion. There are some people who are part of sports that their sport or their team or whatever that is, it's a passion for them. There are Liverpool fans on YouTube that dress up in the soccer, they call them kits over there in the soccer uniform, and they go out in their backyard and they recreate a game and put it on YouTube. That's passion, or some of you might say that's just crazy. Okay, so anyway, that's passion. Green Bay Packers. Those fans are passionate, aren't they? Green Bay Packers fans, any of you Green Bay Packers fans? All right, all right, back. Green Bay Packers fans are passionate. They sold this year, I want you to catch this, in Green Bay. They sold to whoever would buy for a large amount of money. They sold a piece of paper, if you bought it, stating that you could be a shareholder in the Green Bay Packers organization. It gives the person who owns it zero rights. It gives them absolutely nothing. They can't go to a game for free. They, they, they can't go to a practice for free. They don't vote. They can't show up at the facilities and just say, hey, I'm here, I'm a shareholder, let me in. There's nothing that they can do, but for $250, there are a lot of PAC fans that are proud of a one-cent piece of paper that says that they're a shareholder in the Green Bay Packers organization. That's passion, or maybe that's a little bit crazy. 
But there's a huge difference between hobby and passion. There's a massive difference. Webster defines hobby this way, an activity or an interest pursued for pleasure or relaxation and not as a main occupation. There are hundreds of hobbies, thousands of hobbies, aren't there? I mean, there's golf, we've mentioned a few, there's crafts, there's scrapbooking, ham radio, model trains. My grandfather was a huge model train uh, fanatic. Muscle cars, tennis, you know, chess, gaming TVs, movies, many, many more. But passion is a different thing altogether. Passion is something totally different. Here's how passion, the way that we are describing it today, is defined by Webster. It's the object of an intense desire, ardent affection, or enthusiasm. Do you see the difference between hobby and passion? And I don't know about you, but for me in my life, church went from one day being a hobby to another day being a passion. And so I want to submit to you this morning, I want you to think about your hobbies. I want to think about those things that you're interested in, that you have a love for. But I want you to also contrast that to what are you passionate about? What are you passionate about? Are you passionate about something? I mean, you'll put money and time and emotional effort into something. What is that thing that you're passionate about in your life? What is that thing that you're going to spend time on if you absolutely have time available? I want to suggest to you this morning that if you're a Christ follower in here, that we who are Christ followers, we have a holy obligation to make the church God's bride. We'll talk about that in a moment. We have a holy obligation to make that a passion in our lives. Not just a hobby, not just a check-in, not something that we just come in and put off on a checklist, but something that we make a passion in our lives. What we're going to learn over the course of the next five weeks is, is that the bride of Christ is the church, and the church is the bride of Christ and you and I who are a part of that, you and I who have said yes to Jesus, we've got to act like people who are worthy of being a part of the bride of Christ. During this series, we're going to discover what it means that when people who make up the church fulfill their mission and play a part in the mission of the church. We're going to discover who the church is, why, should we, why we should belong to a local body of believers, what it means to become investors in the church, growth in the health of a local church, why we should give generously to the church, and why we should, should serve the church with great passion. And today what I want to do is I want to start off by taking a look at a 40,000-foot view. I want us to look this morning on the first day of 2012 at what the church is, and we're going to define what the church is, but we're also going to make an application to our own lives and how we as Christ followers play a part in the overall mission of the church. And we're going to take a look at what the mission of the church is. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians 1. We're going to be in three different passages this morning. We'll be in Ephesians 1, Ephesians 5, and then we'll be in Matthew 28 this morning. Now in Ephesians 1, Paul, who was one of the fathers of the first church, was writing to a group of Christians, a group of people who made up the church in a town called Ephesus. And I want you to take a look at this verse because this in part defines what the church is. Ephesians 1, 22 through 23. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, 
the fullness of him who fills, who fills everything in every way. I don't want you to miss this in the series because I've entitled this series, This Is My Church. And one thing that I want us to understand is, is that we as Christ followers have a responsibility to have ownership in the church since we are a part of the church that we are supposed to care for and take care of and steward and be involved in the church. But I don't want you to miss this, and we saw it on the video. This is first and foremost not Todd's church. It's not the Cullen's church. It's not a church plan of Low Country Community Church. It's not a church that is owned by Hilton Head. It's not a church that's even owned by you. This is God's church, first and foremost. And that ought to be the foundational element. That ought to be the building blocks, the cornerstone of everything else that we talk about here over the next four weeks. That this is first and foremost God's church. And if you ever hear me say anything other than that, if you ever hear me say that it's my church, Todd's church, first and foremost, you need to find a new pastor. This is God's church. We are responsible for stewarding it, and we'll get to that in a moment. I don't want you to miss that, that this is first and foremost his church. He is the head of the church. Are you with me this morning? It's God's. It's God's. And I don't want us to miss that when we talk about the ownership and the responsibility and the investment that we all have to have. Ephesians 5. Turn a few pages over to Ephesians 5. And we'll bring a little more definition to what the church is. Now, this passage may be familiar to you. You may have read this possibly in a premarital class or you may have read it in a marriage course or something like that. I use this passage as kind of our springboard when I do uh, pre-engagement or premarital counseling. This is kind of the centerpiece of the verse. But it doesn't define marriage as, as much as it defines the church. And I think sometimes we miss that. Again, the Apostle Paul speaking to the church at Ephesus, this passage has a twofold purpose, and we're going to take a look at how it defines the church. Ephesians 5, verses 25 through 27. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or blemish, but holy and blameless. This is where we get the idea. This is where we get the term that the church is the bride of Christ. Do you get that now? That that's where we get the term that the church is the bride of Christ. And God wanted, he used this analogy of marriage and a husband and bride, a, a bride and groom kind of picture for us to understand that the church is his that the church is the bride of Christ. Now, when you think of the term bride, when you think of the term groom, the analogy fits very well because God wanted us, the people who make up the church, to have a great responsibility and to take care of her, the church, with great care, with great respect, with incredible tenderness, with great fondness. We have a, a responsibility to steward and, and, and to guide the church and to nurture and to love and respect the church, just like a brand new groom does with the bride. And so we all are people that make up this church where God is the head and we are a part of, and we have a responsibility to take care of her and to tend her 
and to take care and, and steward her like a groom would with a bride. We play a major part in this idea of the church being the bride of Christ. And so that's in part what the church is. It's a group of people that's, uh, that's uh, made up of Christ followers, a group of people who are passionate about seeing people come to know Christ, seeing people grow in their walk with Him. And we are part of the bride of Christ. And in and being a part of the bride of Christ, we have a great responsibility. And part of that responsibility is to see her, the bride of Christ, to see her mission fulfilled as Jesus described it. So now turn with me to Matthew 28, where we'll spend the rest of our time this morning. Matthew 28 is a passage of scripture where Jesus is giving his specific mission for the church. So we've described who the church is. It's a group of people that come together behind the mission of Jesus Christ. It's the bride of Christ. It's this thing that we have to take care for, take care of and to tend and to nurture. But in Matthew 28, Jesus gives the specific mission of the church. And take a look at Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20 this morning. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When, he saw, when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, of course, this passage of Scripture is called the Great Commission. But I want us to look at it from the perspective this morning of those who are following Jesus. Now, get this picture. Jesus was born in, in a manger. He grew up to be a man. And, and in the last three years of his life, at the end of his life, he lived 33 years on this earth. At the end of his life, in the last three, he conducted his earthly ministry. And so Jesus healed and he performed miracles and he talked about salvation and he talked about his purpose of being here. And he gathered as he went along, as rabbis do, and he was a rabbi, as rabbis do, he gathered a following. And so I want you to picture that there were thousands of people who followed Jesus. And there were perhaps as many, if not thousands, then hundreds of people who would literally follow Jesus from town to town and village to village all around Galilee. And so he had hundreds of people who would literally follow him. And all of a sudden, in a matter of hours, Jesus is arrested, he's tried, and he's executed all on public display. Can you imagine? Can you imagine all of these people who followed him all around Galilee? Can you imagine their fear? Can you imagine their hope fading away as Jesus left them? And Jesus, because he was all God and he was all man, decided that he would come back. And I think part of the reason that he came back was to give them hope and to galvanize their hope that Jesus' mission on earth was going to be fulfilled through them. It was going to be fulfilled through the group of people who call themselves followers of him. And so he gave this great commission to go and make disciples. And I think Jesus did that then to help galvanize their hope, to give them the mission. But it's current for us now. It's applicable for us now here in 2012. We're going to say 2011 for like three months, aren't we? In 2012, it's applicable to us because we are the church. We are a part of the bride of Christ. 
And so we have this mission to do what Jesus said. Well, this morning I want us to consider a few points of application about what it means to be a part of the bride of Christ. The first one, the first point I want to make this morning is implied in this. It's not directly stated. And that is this, that we have to develop a personal faith journey with Christ. You see, to be someone who goes and makes disciples, and we'll talk about what that means in a moment, we first have to be disciples ourselves. Isn't that right? We first have to feed ourselves with the help of God spiritually. We have two children, uh, a seven-year-old and a four-year-old. And when the kids were infants, we fed them with a spoon, that mushy food stuff that they make for babies. That is reprehensible that we feed babies that stuff, by the way. Have you ever tasted that? It is awful. I mean, it's just terrible anyway, and I tasted it, so that's kind of weird in itself. Um, but as the kids grow up, what do you do with children? You wean them off of the milk, and then you wean them off of spoon feeding them this mushy gook that they eat as infants, and all of a sudden, you teach your child to eat with a spoon. And this is a very dangerous time, especially for those like myself who are OCD, because you have to strap a kid in a high chair at 11 months old and put a plate of food in front of them with a spoon. And it's dangerous because food ends up everywhere except where? In their mouths, okay? So anyway, but at some point in time, all parents have to wean their child off of being spoon-fed, don't they? And you know what? It's the same thing with us spiritually. We have to grow up in our own faith. We have to be self-reliant and God-reliant in our own faith journey, not others-reliant. Or else we will be Christians, we will be Christ followers that don't know what to do. We have to stand on our own. We have to learn to read God's Word ourselves. So when I ask the question, who is it who's responsible for, whose job is it uh, to grow you, yourself, in your own personal faith, the answer to that is, it's my job. It's my job. It's no one else's job but your own to grow yourself in your faith. The church plays a huge role in that. The church plays a, a massive role in that. And over the course of the next few weeks, we'll talk about what that is. But I want you to capture this if you don't hear anything else, that it is your responsibility to grow yourself in your faith. It's your responsibility to grow yourself in your own personal time with God. So when I ask the question, whose responsibility is it? We need to answer with, it's mine. It's my responsibility to grow in my walk with him. And so Jesus gives this mission that we are to uh, uh, believe and be baptized. And then he essentially says that we're supposed to behave. And do you see that progression there that belief comes before baptism and then behavior? You see, we have to understand, we have to believe in him for our salvation. And then we're baptized, which identifies us with Christ. And then comes the behavior part. And before we are to go and make disciples, we have to do that ourselves. So this morning, some of you may be in here, and boy, you've just been spoon-fed in your own faith all these years. You rely on the church for your nourishment, or you rely on your friends or your parents or brothers or sisters. And my challenge to you this morning is to be responsible for your own faith journey. It's you and God it's you learning how to pray. It's you learning how to read. It's you discovering the truths of his holy word and allowing him to work in your own lives. And then that, at that point, when we get to that point, we can get to the second point this morning, and that is in the normal course of your own life, be a disciple maker. In the normal course of your life, be a disciple maker. 
When I was right out of college, I got a job with a little company called Milner Business Products down in Fort Lauderdale, uh, Florida. And uh, down in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, I, with Milner, I sold telephone systems. And uh, one of the things that they taught us to do, and it was business to business, door to door, hardcore, you know, cold call sales type uh, sales. And uh, one of the things they taught us to do was as you lived your life, make note of what businesses need telephone systems, okay? So Cynthia would always get kind of irritated with me because I'd always be looking over the counter everywhere we went. Like, you know, what's that old phone system there? And I would make note either by pen or mental note of going back to that organization to talk to them about how we could help them with a new phone system. And so anyway, they taught us that as we were living our lives that we were supposed to find people who had need for a phone system. That's exactly what Jesus' instruction is here. When he says go, that word go in Greek literally means as you are going, as you are living, be aware of people around you who are new in their faith or perhaps are searching in their faith and go and make disciples out of them. And we'll talk about what that means over the course of these next few weeks. And the last point that I want to highlight is that we should never as a church, when we're talking about God's bride, when we're talking about this is my church, we should never underestimate the power of prayer. We absolutely should never underestimate the power of prayer. When the first church began to form in the book of Acts, they prayed all the time. They prayed bold, powerful prayers. They didn't pray for protection. They didn't pray for uh, that God would provide food. They didn't pray these prayers that uh, Aunt Susie would get better and that sort of thing. They prayed prayers of boldness that God would use them to further his kingdom and to spread his love into their region. And we have the opportunity to do that very same thing here at Hilton Head Island Community Church. We have the opportunity and the responsibility to be praying that God's love, that the love of Jesus Christ would spread from here out there, don't we? Every Wednesday at 7 o'clock right here is a time for you to come in and pray. Every Wednesday night at 7 o'clock, a few people meet here, led by Frank Condor, and they meet here every Wednesday night between 7 and 8 o'clock. And I want to encourage you to be a part of that. We call it face down. I want to encourage you to be a part of praying that God's love would spread into the Hilton Head Island community and into the low country, into our state and beyond. You see, part of being uh, the bride of Christ, part of being a part of that is to be passionate about the mission. And part of that passion is that we commit ourselves to praying for the lost and to pray for new disciples. A year ago today, it was a Saturday, and a year ago today, we had ended our little time off, and Cynthia said, why don't you go to the office, you know, work on your message, and and just do what you need to do today. And so I came down here, and um, I got on my knees in my office, which is right across that wall there. And uh, I just prayed that God would begin to change this church at the time, Low Country Community Church Hilton Head. And boy, he's changed it, hadn't he? Uh, we, we had no idea what he would do over the course of the past year. But you know that there have been dozens of people this year in the life of this church that have been saved. There have been dozens of people who have grown in their faith. There have been dozens of people who are now in small groups who are growing in their faith. We'll talk about that here in a few weeks. There are dozens of people who have committed to being a part of now Hilton Head Island Community Church. Over the course of the last year, you all have responded to the call of God to find this new facility and to move on this new facility. 
And we together, God through us, we've raised over $300,000 in addition to meeting our budget this year. Don't tell me prayer doesn't work. Prayer works. And we as people ought to be committed to his church, the bride. Is it a hobby or is it a passion in your life? Let's not make 2012 the year that we just commit for a few weeks, which is what uh, experts say that uh, New Year's resolutions last uh, only a few weeks, like 21 days or something. Let's not say that we're going to do it this year, but let's, as Christ followers, let's, as the body of Christ, say we're going to commit together to making church, his church, his bride, a passion in our lives. No longer a hobby, but a passion where we're excited, where we're investing, where we're passionate about seeing the love of Jesus spread to our community. Pray with me this morning. Father God, thank you for your church. Thank you for the bride of Christ. Thank you, God, for what you're doing here in the low country. God, thank you for what you're doing on Hilton Head Island. Thank you for 2011 where you, uh, your Holy Spirit led dozens of people to come to faith in you because of Hilton Head Island Community Church. God, I thank you for the new people that have come and jumped in with both feet and said, I want to be a part of what God is doing here on Hilton Head Island. God, I pray that you would raise up hundreds and hundreds of more of those people. God, I pray for a whole new revival and awakening here on Hilton Head Island. God, I pray that the love that you showed us, God, that we would be passionate people and that we would be passionate about praying for and being responsible to honor our own personal commitment to being disciple makers. God, as we go, as we live our lives, help us to be aware and to look for people that we can pour into and that we can train up spiritually. God, that's the way you're going to grow your church on Hilton Head Island. God, thank you for this new year, and I pray that you would raise up a whole new army of people who are committed to sharing the love of Jesus with our community. God, I pray that we would be people whose beacon shines lightly and that the love that we have for each other would shine brightly in this community and that many, many, many people would come to know you as their Savior in 2012. In Jesus' name I pray.